SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Brian Stone, joined as always by Matt Miguez. Uh, today we will be previewing uh, the Coastal Carolina upcoming 2020 season while also going over their 2019 campaign. And we are going to talk about the Sun Belt games that happened this past weekend. But before we get into all that, Matt, say hi to everybody at home. What's up, everybody? Brian, thank you for as always for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So we, like I said, we'll kick this episode off by talking about Coastal Carolina. Uh, so to get into their 2019 season, a uh, bit of an up and down campaign, uh, to say the least, I think. You know, looking at <clears throat> the way that this team kind of played last year, five and seven season, still trying to get their legs under them from that move up from FCS uh, to the Sun Belt. It hasn't exactly been the smoothest transition of all time for them, but five and seven is nothing really to scoff at. No, it's not. And then, you know, if you look at, if you look at their seven losses, you know, one, two, three, four of them were by a touchdown or less. So, I mean, honestly, you know, like we, like we talked about last week, a couple possessions go your way. Hell, Coastal could have had a nine and three season last year. Yeah, and and we'll we'll obviously dive more into specifically the conference play. What there were a lot of really close games in here that looked winnable on paper for them. But kind of starting from the top, you know, played Eastern Michigan to start the season off. Uh, Eastern Michigan, you know, was able to edge them out by seven points, uh, and then another big FBS win for a Sun Belt team. You know, it is Kansas. I have to preface it by saying that Kansas has been kind of a joke of an FBS team late as of late. But a 12 to 7 win, a win over a, a power five opponent is is what it is. You know, you can't really discount that. Yeah. I mean, in, anytime you can beat a beat a power five, no matter if it's Old Miss, Kansas, Vanderbilt, whatever it may be. I mean, a P5 wins a P5 win. For sure. And. and you know, it was it was a, a bit of a baseball game when you look at the score. Uh, final score was twelve to seven. It was kind of an ugly contest between those two teams. But you know, like we said, a win is a win, especially when you're coming off of a loss to open the year. But from there on, uh, Coastal was able to reel off a couple more wins after defeating Kansas, uh, beating Norfolk State, and then UMass, uh, another team that has not been a great FBS team uh, the last few years, but. You know, to start the season three and one, uh, like I said, as a team that's still trying to get their legs under them uh, from the FCS move, you know, talk about a little bit what you thought when they kind of start the season three and one and where you kind of thought their season might go from there after that point. Well, you know, three and one going into a contest with app to open the conference, you know, you have to be sitting, you know, in, in a positive manner for sure. But then the thing is, is I, like I just said, you're three and one going into a conference game with app. Yeah. It's a little bit demoralizing knowing how good app is and opening your, your conference slate with them. And to be quite honest, you know, when you look back at the three games they played in a row, you know, at app, they've got Georgia state at home pre Dan Ellington getting injured. And then they went to Georgia Southern 
uh the georgia southern game i remember specifically it was like a monsoon so you know they they really both teams were just kind of grinding it out and trying to figure it out on the ground because it was really you know georgia southern doesn't throw the ball coastal uh throws the ball to a limited extent but in that that day with that hurricane type weather there was just no throwing the ball either way but three conference losses to follow up the the win over massachusetts so at that point they're sitting at three and four uh, I think that a, a real positive to take away from this season when you're sitting at three and four is that this team did not just throw in the towel conference wise and say, ah, we'll get them next year. You know, they really did try to fight the rest of the season in order to kind of pick up some some uh, quality conference wins. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're, we're going to get into the Troy game here in a second. But like like you said, started 0-3, most teams would have just hung their head and said, ah, oh, yeah, you know, but you know, Coastal did a great job of, of grinding it out and saying that they were going to do whatever it took to get the win. So to get into the Troy win a little bit here, uh, it was a really back and forth contest. And, you know, this game, uh, the win for Coastal really came down to Jamie Chadwell, uh, their head coach, really having some guts and attempting a two point conversion to take the lead with like 30 seconds to go instead of just settling for a tie and taking it into overtime, presumably. Uh, but CJ Marable, their running back, scores on a three-yard run from you know three yards out with 30 seconds to go. Chadwell makes the call. CJ Marable also takes in the two-point conversion, and Troy just couldn't get back down the field. So despite uh, there being you know 500 total yards surrendered to Troy, Coastal was able to come out with a surprising win in that one. Yeah, you know, we talked about Troy last week, and you know, Troy had an incredibly up and down season as well. But yeah, like you said, you know, to sit there and grind out a win against what's usually a quality opponent is uh, is definitely something to be proud of for Chadwell and his staff. And and especially just to dive into that game a little bit further, uh, you know, Coastal has struggled to throw the ball. Um, in the last couple years and in that game especially Bryce Carpenter who played quarterback for them was very sharp he completed 71 percent of his passes uh, for 285 yards and a score um, you know besides Marable you know being super clutch at the end I, I think that that win a lot of it could be attributed to how efficient Carpenter was and how he kind of kept them in that game and and you know keep staying score for score with a, a talented offensive team in Troy yeah, Carpenter had a had a great year, you know, overall last year. Uh, you know, like like we said, Troy, I mean, Coastal throws in a limited amount. He had 927 yards on the year, uh, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, but he completed 65% of his passes. Mm-hmm. And, this was, and that was also in, you know, somewhat limited time. He didn't really start games until much later in the season. And then, you know, on the ground, he had – 490 yards and a touchdown on the year so definitely impressive numbers from the young kid uh he's going to be a junior this year so still two more years of of him being able to develop and grow so mm-hmm. quarterback wise i think coastal is going to be phenomenal going into 2020 well i i think they have a chance to be good uh at the quarterback position however you know just looking at numbers here 
there, there's really no reason not to just roll with Bryce Carpenter as their starter full time. Uh, they really did waffle a fair bit last year between, you know, Fred Payton and Carpenter. But Carpenter, like you said, more efficient passing the ball, had a better uh, touchdown to interception ratio uh, than Payton did. Payton turned the ball over a fair amount. Um, so, you know, it all depends if they keep trying to go to this two quarterback type system, uh, how their, how their results for this coming season play out. But, uh, to keep going back down the schedule, uh, your Cajuns, you know, it it was a blowout and there was really no way around it and, and really not much to glean from, uh, coastal Carolina side of things, 48 to seven loss, uh, uh, you know, one of their two just really huge blowout losses this past year. Uh, the other one coming to app. But when you look back at the season, those two teams go and play in the Sunbelt Championship game. You know, it's not not anything to be embarrassed about by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, app and Louisiana were embarrassing a lot of good teams last year. Yeah, you know, that, that's kind of what we do. But uh, yeah, <laughs> man, you know, like like you said, you know, losing losing to teams like App and Louisiana, whether it be a close game or a blowout, either way, it's nothing to be super embarrassed about because – you know, like you said, at the end of the day, they both represented their respective divisions in the conference championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so to close out this slate, uh, two really, I mean, heartbreaking losses. Uh, you know, for, for Coastal, losing a game by one point to Arkansas State that was super winnable, uh, and losing one to Louisiana Monroe by three that was winnable. Both of these road games, uh, you you almost have to wonder if they had been able to play that game at home, you know, would the Chanticleers be able to come away with two more wins and kind of finish their season seven and five rather than five and seven. But uh, something to build off of here, they close the they close the season with Texas State. I think the the most heartbreaking thing when you look at the final three games of the season and those two losses that I mentioned, either one of those wins would have made them bowl eligible. Right. You know, just like like I said earlier, you know, four of their games were seven points or less. You you win one of those, you're going to a bowl game. Yeah. And so, uh that that's it, kind of a heartbreaking thing when you when you look back on last year, um, if you're Coastal Carolina, just one possession could have changed your entire season. For sure. And especially like late in those games, you know, we pointed out the game that they won against Troy late. You know, if they were able to conjure up, like we said, some of that magic late and consistent, consistently late in these games, you know, like you said, we could be looking at a a nine and three, eight and four, seven and five type season instead of one below 500 where they weren't able to qualify for a conference game. But Moving through, you know, the, the roster as it stood last year versus how it stands this year, uh, as is the case with most of our Sunbelt teams that, you know, didn't finish the season kind of the way they wanted, their defense really was uh, one of their major Achilles heels. They allowed 30.5 points per game uh, to opposing offenses. And if that defense, if they're able to shore that up at all, uh, and kind of run roughly the same offense that averaged, you know, 30 points a game on the offensive side of the ball. We could be looking, like you said, at, at like a seven and five type team this year. Yeah, definitely. You know, they could definitely, they definitely need to shore up the defense, but that like we've, like we've been saying, it's kind of a broken record. Everybody in the Sun Belt could really shore up defensively, but, you know, I think one thing that's going to help them is that they're returning six starters on defense from last year. So, you know, an experience factor there. 
And um, another thing is that, you know, more experience under the coaching staff. This is going to be uh, Jamie Chadwell's uh, third year at, um, at as head coach. And so, you know, I think if you put those two things together, it's definitely going to help them. I think they'll have a better year than than they did in 2019. Yeah. So looking at this team, you know, I, I touched on this. If I was Chadwell uh, and, and I had the uh, decision to make it quarterback, I think I would roll with Carpenter over Peyton. Uh, Carpenter was able to toss eight touchdowns to two picks last year in limited duty. Him and Peyton almost, I, I mean, the, the attempts fell what 40 short of Fred where Fred Payton was. So it was almost, it was close to like a 55 45 split as far as how they played their quarterbacks, but Payton, not so efficient, uh, 12 touchdowns, seven picks. I think what Carpenter and you touched on this gives you from a running perspective, as well as being a more efficient passer. You know, if I, like I said, if I'm Chadwell, I'm rolling with Carpenter full time and seeing how he handles that, that pressure and that role. Hot take. Okay. I'm not playing either one of them. Interesting. I'm going with redshirt freshman Grayson McCall. This kid is 6'3", 195. He's, you know, a, a true dual threat guy, which is, I think, exactly what Coastal Carolina needs. You know, he played ever so slightly last year. I think on the year he completed, he threw four passes. Completed um, them all. Completed them all. Had a touchdown. Uh, granted it was in garbage time and two wins against Norfolk state and UMass, but, and, you know, I'm looking at his high school recruiting profile, just some of his attributes runs a four, six, five, 40 bench press, two thirty five, squats, 350, and had a vertical of 27 and a half. So essentially he's just like an athletic freak. Yeah. He, he he's an athlete mm-hmm. and you know, with, with the, with the style of offense that, Jamie Chadwell likes to run at Coastal with C.J. Marable in the backfield. I think McCall fits the system the best. Well, so so here's the thing for someone like myself who I don't I don't watch every game that Coastal plays. I mean, to be to be totally honest, I'm not a fan of their team. Uh, you know, and we've both of us have made that obvious who we're fans of at this point. However. When I do watch Coastal play, I'm very confused about what it is they're trying to accomplish on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't mean that like disparagingly, but specifically watching them play, you know, like a Georgia Southern last year, it was very confusing seeing. I was like, what are they trying to do here? Like they keep running the ball a lot, but then they'll run in these weird third and five situations and not pick it up. And then they just are okay with punting. And I'm like, but if you're going to run it there, you need to be more aggressive. Like I I'm, I'm just confused as to what it is other than getting CJ Marable the ball. And that was another thing with that game. CJ Marable, when he played us did not hardly touch the ball. And that was what I was confused about too. So outside of just running the ball, I don't know game to game if their offensive philosophy completely changes, but I don't, I don't have any concept of what they're trying to accomplish offensively game. To right. Game. And, and, and I, I agree with you that CJ Marable needs to be the dominating factor in the offense. I mean, this kid's probably going to be a third round draft pick in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He, he's going to play on Sundays. And so, you know, I think that 
he's definitely ha- he has to be the focal point of the offense. But you know they've got some talented receivers coming back: Cameron Brown, uh, Javian, Javian Healy, uh, a couple other guys that can that can contribute. So you know I think that the passing game is definitely there, mm-hmm. but at the same time you you feed what works, and I think CJ Marable is what works for Coastal Carolina. Yeah, and, and I, I think, as is the case with a lot of the Sunbelt teams that struggled last year, I mean, outside of the defense, I think their number one goal should be to identify who their quarterback, they want their quarterback to be moving forward. What kind of offense do you want to run? Right. Build it around that guy and then figure out what you want to do from there. But stop doing the, we'll play three quarterbacks and do it carousel style and we don't know whether we want to be a running team or if we want to throw the ball a, a good bit. Like, you know, when you take when you take these numbers into account, they threw as a team for about, what, 2,400 yards last year when you combine all the quarterbacks. So figure figure out what you want to do and pick a guy and roll with them. Unless they all have wildly different skill sets that you're trying to build around, you need some some continuity under center and that's that's kind of what they lacked last year yeah i mean you, you know the famous quote for for football if you have two quarterbacks you have none yeah and that was kind of the case because it felt like last year when carpenter would hit you know a good patch of of how he was playing they would yank him and put fred payton in and it was just it, it was i felt bad for him because it was like you know he plays well against troy okay well then payton comes in in, in you know the following games or whatever and it's like well what what did you see in the Troy game that made you believe that he shouldn't get the chance to play later on in the season like well it, my, my thing is my thing is is you can't pull a guy just because you know he makes a couple mistakes because how, how do you expect him to get into a rhythm that way yeah, and that and that's kind of that's kind of what I'm saying is I, I I don't understand how Chadwell expects any of these guys to develop a rhythm when you know I'm looking at Peyton's game log and let's see he played in ten of their games so he missed two of them he didn't play against Troy obviously but you know he's he's going down the list it's like he would throw sixteen passes one game then he would throw three then he would throw twenty one then he'd throw sixteen then he'd throw eleven and it's like. But if you're not giving him either give him the game or don't right like, like like you said, if a guy makes a mistake, that's fine. But you at least need to let them finish out the game because, you know, when you when you play him against UMass in a game that wasn't close and he goes 16 for 18, I'm talking about Fred Payton for 203 yards, one touchdown, one pick. OK, well, he's highly efficient. You might as well just leave him in because he's developed a rhythm. But right. I. I I just don't under I, I don't understand a lot of what Chadwell does decision wise. So, well, we need to move off of that and get into the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think their biggest returning player, uh, who had nine and a half sacks last year, which was huge for them, uh, is Teron Johnson or Teron Jackson rather. Uh, their defensive end, six two two sixty, also had twelve and a half tackles for a loss. So it's really up to him to kind of set the the tempo up front for this uh, defensive line. Yeah, he's uh, – Taron Jackson's a freaky, freaky man. <laughs> um, you know, he 
obviously the scoreboard doesn't show it, you know, in a, in a 48 to seven win. But when we played coastal Carolina last year, I remember looking at him on the D end and just saying, Holy crap, he is going to scare some quarterbacks mm-hmm. this year and next year. Um, two, like, like you said, six, two, two sixty, freaky speed on the edge. He had, he had nine and a half sacks and like, you, I think he's what, what was it? 12 tackles for a loss. Yeah, I think it was 12 and a half. 12 so. and a half, yeah. I mean, that's just – that's insane numbers coming from the Sun Belt, um, and especially from a D end. 12 tackles for a loss is is impressive. So, yeah, I think he's – he might be – outside of him and uh, Carlton Marshall from Troy, he might be the second best defensive player in the conference. Yeah, getting getting almost double digit sacks in the Sun Belt is is obviously nothing to scoff at, at by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but looking down their defensive line, I think their other big contributor who's coming back is CJ Brewer, yep. um, who last year as a defensive tackle had 55 total tackles. Uh, he had seven tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks, which, you know, if his job is to stuff the run to come away with 55 tackles and three and a half sacks. Not bad for a guy who's, you know, six two two eighty. Yeah, no, for sure. You also have Teddy Gallagher as middle linebacker. He had eighty eight tackles last year. He was their leading tackler. Uh three and a half tackles for a loss. So, you know, I think that's another big um contribution for um for Coastal. And then did is I'm a butcher this name. Uh let's see. De Jordan Strong. Sounds good. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a JUCO transfer that's going. Looks like he's going to be a starter in the in the secondary. I think he can be a a solid contributor for Coastal in that secondary, who really isn't returning a whole lot of players. Uh, mm-hmm. Jordan, Jordan Morris returns. Uh, he played last year as a true freshman, had fifteen tackles and an interception. So, you know, I think he could he could provide some experience. But like I said, the Jordan Strong, the, the JUCO transfer, I think he is probably the most exciting player in Coastal's secondary. Yeah, and when you look at Coastal's defense stats-wise, they really do need to improve uh, through the air, especially, you know, opposing teams against them were completing almost 70% of their passes. Uh, they completed 69.7% of the their attempts against coastals you know defense and also threw for an average of like 223 yards and two touchdowns per game so you know you it's almost like one of those things where this defense needs to take a stand and and uh shut down one aspect or the other because when you look at their rushing numbers allowed as well, they weren't super sharp there either. The teams would run for an average of 160 yards uh, against them per game. So they they either it feels like they either need to stack the box and stop the run and and cause uh, teams to throw against them, or they need to play some lockdown coverage because this ne- neither neither nor type of defense where they're not shutting down either aspect of opposing teams is not going to cut it. Right. They're, they're, you're, you're exactly right. That's something that, you know, if you look at the Sun Belt as a whole, secondary seems to be an issue with a lot of programs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and but I think that largely contributes to like we talked about a couple weeks ago. The Sun Belt is a run heavy league. Yeah. So a lot of secondary guys aren't looking at coming to a Sun Belt school to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I think that's kind of the kind of the drawback of the Sun Belt. But yeah, I mean if you if you can if you can put together a solid secondary in a run heavy league, you're going to be in good shape. For sure. Uh, so let's go through and take a look at Coastal Carolina's schedule as it stands right now. They have 11 games scheduled for this year. Um, they're, they're set to open the season uh, next weekend, next Saturday, uh, September 12th, uh, against Kansas. Uh, I would normally say this is a, probably going to be a loss for them, except they just turned around and beat Kansas last year. Right. So what chance do you give them to make it two for two against the Jayhawks? Well, you know, I will say this, talking about Kansas, Kansas was missing a huge piece of their offense in that game last year in running back Puka Williams Jr. Uh, he was he was suspended from the team at the beginning of the year last year. Uh, he was the Big 12 freshman of the year in 2018. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that could throw a huge wrench in the game plan for Jamie Chadwell. But, you know, I mean, obviously you can beat him once you can beat him again. So I think mm-hmm. I give, I think I give coastal a, a solid shot of winning. But again, like, like I said, they were missing Puka Williams. I think you got to watch out for that kid. Uh, fun fact about him. He only has three toes on one of his feet. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm just saying, throwing, throwing weird facts out there, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, you beat him once you can beat him again. So I think coastal's always got a shot. For sure. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and this is going to be my one hot take. I think they beat Kansas and make it two for two uh, in their opener this coming weekend. So l- moving forward, uh, they play Campbell, uh, which is an FCS team that's been picking up a lot of Sunbelt. Yeah, been picking up a lot of Sunbelt opponents this year. And I guess it's good for them that they're able to kind of fill their schedule out. Um, but that looks like another winnable game for coastal. I mean, as far as my records go, I have them sitting at two and oh, after their first two games, I don't think the win over Kansas is going to be a blowout for them, but I think it's going to be another one of those close one score games. And I think they'll, they'll manage to come out on top, but looking at the way that their conference schedule opens up, it's going to be a brutal couple of weeks, I think for them. Uh, you know, they open up, they get Arkansas state at home. Uh, which is a winnable game, but Arkansas State's offense, like we said, is is uh, uh, potent. Uh, so they'll need to be able to score and keep up with them, it's, especially. It, it's potent if they play Lane Hatcher, right? And, and we'll we'll get more into into that. Uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna follow up this Coastal Carolina preview with a little bit of recap from the past week, uh, just because there were three Sun Belt games but yeah I, I i agree it's potent if they start lane hatcher if they start late if they play lane uh logan bonner rather maybe not uh but uh but they play arkansas state and then they come to you guys on october 17th uh at louisiana that doesn't look to be a winnable game uh and then they play i mean i'm, I'm just being serious you know last year i think what was the score 48 to 7 48 to 7 yeah we scored on our first eight possessions so I, I just don't see that being a winnable game for them. I think that there's still a big tier in the middle of the Sun Belt. If you're going to tier these teams out, I think it's Louisiana, App State at the top, and just by almost default. 
Then there's like an entire middle tier of teams that I don't, I, I mean, I think that are better than Coastal. I'm not saying Coastal can't win those games, but I think that when you look at them on paper, they're better than Coastal. And then there's kind of the Coastals and the, you Texas know, State, the, South Alabama's of the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, that's nothing to be like ashamed of, but I just think that there's a serious tier break between the middle of the conference and kind of where Coastal sits as they sit today. Yeah. For um, sure. So then they play Georgia Southern. Uh, you know, it was super close last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if if Coastal was able to keep it close once again. But I, I do think uh, the Eagles are going to come out on top in that one. Surprise, surprise. Um, but the next two games, I think, are winnable for them at Georgia State, who's kind of we, – we talked about it during the preview. They're trying to rebuild, uh, and they don't have a lot – on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so unless they figure things out pretty quickly, I think that's a winnable game for the chance. And then, uh, then South Alabama at home. So I, I think those are two winnable games. For yeah, them. absolutely. Huge, huge opportunity for, for coastal Carolina to get some momentum heading into this final stretch. For sure. Uh, so going, going down the list, it, uh, it, it gets, uh, it gets tougher after the South Alabama game. Let's just say that. So they played Troy again, which we went over the one point win. I think that game is going to be close once again, uh, unless Troy is just head and shoulders better than they were last year. Um, and I don't see them beating at the week after no. on November no. 21st. So no. not, so that's, not a, at all. Unless, so that's another loss. <laughs> as, as brutal as this is about to sound, unless there is an act of God, Coastal Carolina does not beat App State. If Coastal comes out on top, you're going to hear from some oh, chance and, clear and that's fans. Fine, that's fine. I will 100% deserve to hear it. But unless <laughs> there is an act of God, that is a loss on the schedule. Sure. Uh, so uh, second to last game of the season, they play at Texas State. I think that's a winnable game for them as well. Um Texas State the last couple of years has kind of faded down the stretch of their their seasons. They they weirdly start a little. I, I don't. I guess I, I guess the way to say it is like frisky. Uh, they they're really competitive early against teams, and then as the season kind of wears on, they just kind of wear out. So I think Coastal's going to be all over Texas State in that game, and then they close the season with Liberty, and Liberty's a tough read. They're an independent this year. Uh, their their big player Antonio Gandy Golden went to the draft. It got drafted by the Washington Football Team. So I I have a hard time getting a read on Liberty. I is think it, this is kind is of a it coin at play. Liberty. It says it's it says it's at Coastal. Coastal's it's at the Coastal. Home game. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, then yeah, I, I think Coastal can pull that one off. But uh, man, I'm I'm not sure if you are a fan of facilities mm-hmm. like I am. But I love watching teams get new facilities. Mm-hmm. And Liberty's new football headquarters is ridiculous. Well, I don't know if you're in the uh, university president news as much as I am, but they're not having to pay their university president, which which, <laughs> oh, op- God. Oh, which, God. Open, which opens up a lot of money uh, that you don't have to you don't really have to pay a guy. You drug that cat out of the bag. <laughs> well, anytime I have a shot, to th- I, I can throw a shot at somebody uh, like that. Um, I'm just going to take it, to be totally oh honest with you. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. So, so wrapping up here, do you have any final thoughts on Coastal Carolina before we jump into a quick 
you know, three game slate uh, for the Sun Belt this past weekend. I'm just going to recap what I said about the quarterbacks. Play Grayson McCall. I mean, Jamie, I, I can probably reach you on Twitter and I can I can tell you the facts. But I mean, Grayson Grayson McCall is going to be your guy, and you're going to thank the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast for it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up the coastal slate. Uh, you know, we wanted to talk about the three teams from the Sunbelt that kicked off this past weekend. So going down the list of the teams that played the earliest, uh, South Alabama. Uh, big surprise, at least for me, I, I'm sure it was probably a surprise for you, able to come away with an 11-point win and score 32 points against Southern Miss. Uh, Desmond Trotter really, really lit uh, the Southern Miss up through the air and on the ground. So, you know, uh, we talked about this uh, last year, or at least I did when we were doing our Sunbelt podcast uh, off the Underdog Network. If they could just lock down a starting quarterback, they have – things that they can build on. And it looks like Desmond Trotter's the guy, and I hope he can continue his uh, growth that he got towards the end of last year. Well, God, Desmond Trotter should have been the guy all year last year. Well, he was, I think, I believe he was a true freshman, and he was in a spot, yeah, he was a true freshman last year uh, who got 97 attempts throwing the ball, but he threw eight touchdowns to two picks. Um, but basically they were trying to force, I think it was, uh, Tylen Morton, uh, into a starting role and he just could, I mean, he just wasn't the guy. And they had Johnson also. Cephas Johnson was another guy. Yeah, absolutely. But even he like, wasn't, didn't look as good as Desmond Trotter. So I think I thought Trotter should have been the guy, especially when you know, you're not going to be a good football team. Start the young guy with upside and just let him get some reps. For sure. Because, I mean, let's be totally honest. If you look at last year, nobody expected South Alabama to be a good football team. No. Let's just be totally honest. So, I think last year, if you're – I'll draw a blank on the coach's name. Campbell. Steve Campbell. Mm -hmm. uh, You played Desmond Trotter. You let him get the experience. And now, coming into 2020 – you're sitting here looking like a genius because you've got a superstar sophomore quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we, we talked about this on a previous episode. If the NCAA keeps up with this rule that you can, you can basically write this season off as if it didn't happen as a player and keep that year of eligibility, I mean, Trotter could be their quarterback for another four years. Yeah, that's freaky. So who knows like where he would be hypothetically if you if you flash forward to what is it 2023 where would he be quarterback play wise he he might be one of the better quarterbacks in the Sun Belt at that point you never know absolutely um maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the country I I don't know that I would go that far uh he's not a power five level talent um but I think for the Sun Belt, he could be a really nice player and could really help bolster a position that's been, you know, really up and down for the Jaguars like the last couple of years. Right. But so going through this game, South Alabama really jumped on uh, Southern Miss from the jump. Uh, first quarter after the first quarter, uh, South Alabama up 13 to nothing. Uh, Southern Miss ended up scoring 10 points right before the half to make it 13 10. And then from there, it was all South Alabama. You know, they scored. Uh, 19 points in the second half really put the game out of reach. 
I, I mean, I think the most well outside of Trotter's performance, which we've we've already talked about. I was most impressed by the way that their trio of receivers played in Jalen Tolbert, Jalen Wayne, and Kawan Baker. All yeah, three of them went over eighty yards. Can we can we just say that outside of Desmond Trotter, it was the Jalen and Jalen show? I think that's I mean, fair. I think that's fair. If you're looking at just the two Jalens, I mean, Kawan Baker had a great performance, but if you look at Tolbert and Wayne, twelve catches for two hundred and seventy yards and two touchdowns. I think if South Alabama keeps up what they what they showed on Thursday, they could be at least a really fun Sun Belt team to watch. Oh, you no know, if, if they're putting the ball through the air, uh, as you know. 27 times and and trotters throwing the ball for almost 300 yards he had 11 yards per completion so i mean if jalen wayne and jalen tolbert can be a deep deep threats for these guys and kawan baker's been solid the entire time he's been there he's just getting the ball to him has been the real struggle for the jaguars so i i mean yeah this could be a really fun team to watch this year even if they're not you know in the mix for a Sunbelt title. It doesn't really matter. You know, if they're a fun team to watch, that's at least a step up from where they were last year when they struggled to get any sort of quarterback play that was consistent. Right, for sure. And, you know, I, I know we're probably not going to touch on Southern Miss too much, but I, I do just want to say that watching this game Thursday night made me feel incredibly old. Because of Frank Gore Jr.? Frank Gore Jr., is playing college football while his dad is still grinding out a career in the NFL. So I'm almost wondering to an extent if, if Frank Gore senior is wanting it to be like a Ken Griffey junior, Ken Griffey senior situation. And he wants to like take snaps with him to to play with his son. Well, it's weird because it's, it's like the real, the, I don't want to say the real Frank Gore because they're both real people, but, uh, Frank Gore senior is just taking jobs essentially. Like he's, he's just a backup at this stage in his career who will come in and get you like three and a half yards per carry. So I'm almost wondering if that is what he's holding out for. That's actually, that's actually hilarious that you used that number because last year he averaged 3.6 yards carry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so wrapping this this game up, let's talk about the Southern Miss side a little bit, even though they're not the Sunbelt team uh, in this situation. Jack Abraham was able to go over 300 yards passing Southern Miss's problem. They really struggled to run the ball against South Alabama. Yeah, I mean, Frank Gore Jr. was their leading rusher and he had 12 carries for 32 yards. <laughs> so I, mean, I think that's all there is to say about that. Um, yeah. But uh, outside of that, Tim Jones, Southern Miss's receiver, uh, six catches for 139, including a catch of 47 yards. So maybe a, maybe a good omen for South Alabama this year. You know, like I said, even if they're not in contention for a Sunbelt title, maybe they're competitive in a lot of these games and maybe they can they can really grind it out and at least be a fun team to watch uh, as yeah. opposed to kind of what they've been the last few years or so. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. For looking at looking at game one, I think they've got a they've got a shot to be a pretty entertaining program this year. Yeah. So let's get into game two of the slate. Uh, this was the earlier game on Saturday. Uh, Southern Methodist SMU was able to come away with a seven point win on against Texas State. So Texas State falls to zero and one. However, 
both of us thought that this game would be not not that competitive. Um, the one thing I will say, and we talked about this kind of before we started recording, I was very baffled as to what Sonny Dykes was doing offensively with Southern Miss to open this game. Um, it almost seemed like they were going to feed their running back TJ McDaniel at the expense of the rest of the offense. Um, because it would seem like he got the first and second down carries and then they would go, Oh no, it's third and six. What are we going to do? Let's Shane, Shane Bouchelle, get out there, get us a first down, please. (laughs) And then they would go back to running the ball. So it was kind of baffling considering where Southern Miss, uh, not Southern Miss, Southern Methodist usually how they usually run their team, but able to get a win over Texas State. Let me just say this. When we did the Texas State preview last week, I said that Texas, and this was my hot take of the episode, I seem to give one every week, but I said that Texas State was going to be the toughest competition that Louisiana faces this year. Mm -hmm. Granted, that's probably still incredibly out of reach. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, I don't disagree. But what a performance by Jake Spavital and his program. I mean, yeah. there, there were multiple, multiple occasions where SMU literally took the game, fit it onto a silver platter, and said, here you go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all yours. Have it. And Texas State just couldn't find a way to get it done. Yeah, and, and I think what I was most impressed about uh, with Texas State was their running game. Um, they had two backs in Calvin Hill. I, they were the announcers were talking about Calvin Hill and Brock Sturgis like they're the like they're a thunder and lightning style of backfield. Where Calvin Hill is a kind of a, a smaller, shifty guy who is a, like a home run hitter, and Sturgis is going to just kind of grind it out while also being able to rip off a couple of long runs right, here and there. Because he because he's an you know he's a pure athlete essentially so um, I think I was most impressed I think if Texas State wants to take the jump this year and at least get to a point where they're also in that South Alabama mold of being entertaining while being competitive a lot I think what they need to do is kind of lean on the running game more than uh, making Brady McBride throw the ball as many, you know forty times a game. Yeah, there, there's no question. You definitely have to lean on on those guys, you know, Calvin Hill, Brock Sturgis, even, you know, I, I don't want to say let Brady McBride run the ball a little bit because, you know, it doesn't seem like he can do a very good job of that. Maybe it was just the SMU defense shutting that aspect of his game down. Not really mm-hmm. sure. But, uh, you know, on, on paper, 10 carries for three yards with a long of seven doesn't really seem like Brady McBride can be a mobile quarterback for you. So this is kind of what I, I, I tweeted about this at one point in the early on in the first half of this game uh, between SMU and Texas State. I was very unimpressed by the offensive line play of both of these teams. I felt like Shane Bouchel and Brady McBride were running for their life on it almost every single play. Uh, especially in the first half. And this is what I don't uh, understand. SMU, at least from their perspective, it made it look like Texas. I'm not taking anything away from Texas state. When I say this, it almost looked like they had no idea who to block on any given play because they would show replays where 
SMU's right tackle would just be chopping his feet as a guy runs right around him and gets to Shane Bouchelle untouched. They all they they seem so out of sync. And then with Texas State, you know, SMU's got a decent little pass rush. So Brady McBride was doing a lot of uh they said Johnny Manziel on the broadcast. I didn't see that oh, level. <laughs> oh god they said he could be johnny manzel ish and i was like i don't really see that i i think mcbride would be at most at home standing back in the pocket and kind of dissecting defenses but uh you know kudos to the bobcats they're way more competitive than i thought they were gonna be and like you said smu gave them a few chances to kind of take this game and and you know come away with a win but i think it's just a talent differential at this point between these two teams he looked like Johnny Manziel because he had to. Mm-hmm. He's he was running, for, running his life. for his life. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's why I was that's why I'm baffled when I go back and look at the stats that Calvin Hill and in a one score game, two guys in Calvin Hill and Brock Sturgis each averaged over six and a half yards a carry. They had twenty seven carries between them. Brady right, McBride threw the ball third. Brady McBride threw the ball 39 times. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. Spavadol maybe want to go back to the the drawing board on that, but if the if the running game is going to be as, as efficient as it was, that's what you need to lean on. You don't need to lean on the arm and the legs of Brady McBride. Right. Calvin Hill and Sturgis need to be getting 20 25 carries a game. Yeah, and, and even if even if that's not the offense that you envision for yourself as Spavadol before the season started, you have to go with what works. You have to be able to be fluid and change what you want to do offensively in order to give yourself the best chance to win. I just don't understand. Like I said, I don't understand the stats we just went over running the ball and then turning around and being like, no, Brady McBride should throw the ball 40 times in this game. Right. So, yeah. but... It made, it made no sense. I, d- I didn't understand it. Uh, but the one highlight I will say, Jeremiah Haydell was probably oh uh, my god, probably number one on Sports Center's top ten the next morning uh, on Sunday he, he with that one-handed be, catch. He better be number one on Sports Center for the next week. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy one-handed and catch. Better, you know, it, it reminded me of the Odell Beckham catch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because it, because he had a guy draped all over him, and he just stuck his arm back and just plucked it out of the air. And and I I don't say that it should be number one on Sports Center because there's nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. But it was just, just that good. It it was that good of a catch. And you know I I don't want to take away credit from Haydell, but what a throw by McBride. Mm-hmm. Just place the ball to where only Jeremiah Haydell could pull it down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that's that's pro quarterback kind of skills mm-hmm. on, on, on a throw like that. So, uh, like I said, I don't want to take away any credit from the athleticism of Jeremiah Haydell, but that was a great throw, great catch. If Texas State can keep pulling pulling some of those, they might, uh, they might have a pretty good year. Yeah, so let's get into the final uh, game of this past weekend and kind of recap this. Um, Memphis uh, defeats Arkansas State uh, 37-24. Early early on in this game, I thought Arkansas State had a real chance to win this uh, because, and the only reason I said that is because Memphis got off to a very slow start out the gate, and they really just cut it on kind of in the second and third quarters, and that really put it out of reach. Uh, but 
talk and i hate setting up questions this way but before i kind of give my take on this talk about what it is they're doing with logan bonner and lane hatcher how do i how do i say this screwing it up yeah i mean if if we're going to be totally honest they're they're screwing it up i mean logan bonner plays four games last year and plays incredibly well Mm -hmm. in those four games but then he breaks his hand and is out for the year Mm-hmm. In comes Lane Hatcher, a freshman that has transferred from the University of Alabama mm-hmm. and just puts on a show throughout the year. Don't get me wrong. He had Omar Bayless. He had Kirk Merritt. He had guys that made him look good. Yeah. But at the same time, he made himself look incredibly good as well. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you take – what he did last year and basically throw it out the window because you go back to Logan Bonner. And then you make it a 50, 50 split as far as throwing the ball goes, which I don't understand. And, and who, who put on a better show? Well, in my opinion, it was Lane Hatcher. uh, and, And I believe that Lane Hatcher is the better quarterback out of the two. So I don't really understand why they kept trying to force the issue of Logan Bonner. You know, at at least one of his interceptions was a brutal, shouldn't have ever thrown it type of throw. Um, And and, uh, I I just don't, I, I don't get the two quarterback thing when you have one guy who looks to be the better player and has more pedigree as a as a recruit coming back coming out in lane hatcher like you said right. went came from alabama so tore i mean i thought he tore it up last year as a, as a freshman so 100 oh, percent. he must be bad in practice or something because it doesn't make any sense to take that guy and put him into a timeshare at quarterback and it's the issue we kind of touched on with the coastal thing Neither one of these guys are able to get a a, a rhythm going when you're literally alternating right. drives and trying to make it a 50-50 split throwing the ball. And, you know, if, if this doesn't prove to Blake Anderson that Lane Hatcher is the guy. So, you know, we talked about how well he played last year, and then you come into week one in 2020, and like you said, they share time. Mm-hmm. In shared time, Lane Hatcher put up better numbers. Yeah. If that does not show you that Lane Hatcher is your guy going forward, I'm really not sure what is. Well, I think the most important thing is when you look at at, at this team, he didn't turn the ball over. So at the very least, at the absolute least, you can say that he will take care of the football. Whereas Logan Bonner... 5% of his passes. Yeah. Didn't, like you said, didn't took care of the football. You know, I, again, I just I don't see how he's not your quarterback going forward. I I don't know. Maybe maybe it was maybe it was closer than we saw in practice leading up to this game. But this should kind of signal to Blake Anderson who the guy should be moving forward. Right. Uh, um. But outside of that, uh, receiving performances, uh, Dahu Green uh, led the Red Wolves five catches, ninety nine yards. Uh, Jonathan Adams Jr. Uh, second on the team with six catches, 65 yards. Talking a little bit about, I mean, let's just gloss over this because there's not a lot to talk about. Arkansas State's running game, not all that efficient. Uh, Jamal Jones, 15 carries, 60 yards. So he was what, 
a little over four yards a carry. Yeah, four four point three. So I mean, that's fine. You know, it's not it's not anything to write home about, but it's fine. Uh, however, Memphis showed Arkansas State the value of knowing who your quarterback is and playing sticking with them because oh, Brady, Brady White. Brady White's a freak. <laughs> and. Do you think that this is more that Brady White is a freak, like you just said, or do you think it's that Texas State, or not Texas State, Arkansas State, I apologize, just doesn't have the pass defense to keep up with the Memphis caliber of passer and pass catchers? You know, I think it could be a little bit of both, but man, Brady White is just a freak. I mean, just looking at his numbers from last year, when he uh, when he was the quarterback for Memphis, I mean, this is his this is his season stats last year. He threw for four thousand yards, thirty three touchdowns, only had eleven interceptions, completed sixty four percent of his passes. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, led his team to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it could be very very true that. Arkansas State just doesn't have the pass defense to cover Memphis's receivers, mm-hmm. but it's also largely in part that Brady White's just a freak. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's 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 very he's one of the better group of five quarterbacks just as a pure passer. I mean, he showed it pretty much all last year. Um, and Memphis keeps just think about how nasty Memphis would be this year. If Kenneth Gainwell hadn't opted out, they would also have another legitimate pass catching, you know, hybrid wide receiver pass catcher out of the backfield. And he's supposed Gainwell compares like to their previous guys like that, like an Antonio Gibson or a Tony Pollard who all came at, you know, Daryl Henderson, who all came out of Memphis. Imagine if he had that guy on top of the weapons he already has. Right. So, uh, but looking at Memphis's receiving numbers really quickly, Sean Dykes led the Tigers uh, 10 catches for 137 and two scores. Uh, DeMonte Coxey uh, was, was pretty uncoverable. He kept finding soft spots and Arkansas state's defense came away with uh, eight catches for 90 yards and a score. Um, you know, just to wrap this game up, what do you take away from this game uh, as we kind of wind the podcast down from the Arkansas State side of things? What was your number one uh, observance, I guess, would be the term? You know, I really have two. And number one would be like we've like we've hammered on. Lane Hatcher has to be your starting quarterback going forward. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I think from a running game perspective, like you said, you know, they really couldn't get the running game going. Um, I think if it's me, I think you're going with a guy like Isaiah Azabuki, the, mm-hmm. the sophomore from St. Louis, 5'11", 200 pounds, averaged 7.8 yards a carry and a score. So, you know, I think that those, again, small numbers, but I think those are numbers that as a coaching staff should impress you going forward i think next weekend for arkansas state you know being in manhattan kansas playing a kansas state team who is on the lower end of things over the last couple of years i think that's going to be a great game to throw Any, anything that you have question marks about needs to be answered mm-hmm. on saturday because right. after that when you get into your conference schedule you need to know what you have 
Yeah. And if they go into conference not knowing what they have, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so we've gone a little long on this as opposed to our other episodes, uh, just because there were games this past weekend. Uh, but but not enough to set up an entire podcast around three football games. So uh, just to wrap this up, Matt, uh, feel free to go ahead and let the folks know where they can find you on social media. I am at I am on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MiguezMatt. And I can be found on all social media platforms at WatchTheStone. We are almost done with our Sunbelt, I guess, previews, and I don't even know what the word is, but – Uh, The season has already officially started for the South Alabama Jaguars. They came away with a big win like we had talked about. We will be doing our season 2019 review and preview uh, in our final episode of the, I guess, preseason slash week zero of the Sun Belt. So uh, we will see you back for the next and final episode of our previews as we talk about South Alabama. (laughs) 